and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks. Today, we are going to do an open mic, so I hope you can join us today. Um, on open mics, everyone is welcome. We just ask that we have a respectful conversation. And basically, um, we can have people with dementia, families, businesses, authors, writers, singers, songwriters, advocates, researchers, you name it, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your lived experiences. We want to hear your theories. We want to hear how you're making a difference and, and what are the needs. So again, anything dementia and caregiving related to that is welcome. So um, I have, I never have any idea who is going to show up. So it's always exciting for me to, um, to have these conversations and I hope you enjoy them too. Before we go live, I just want to remind everyone to check out alzheimerspeaks.com. That's where we have tons of free educational resources and so much more there. You can also access our book, Betty the Bald Chicken. And I just want to give a shout out to Arthur's Memory Cafe, which meets virtually the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Anyone is welcome to attend. Same with the Caregiver Connect program, which meets in person at the Shoreview Community Center here in Minnesota and also provides respite. If you're interested in either of those, please reach out to me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimerspeaks.com. And then, of course, uh, don't forget to check out Dementia Map, our global resource directory. And if you're not part of it, you should be. Uh, cost isn't a factor. Um, anyone who has a service product or tool that is supporting dementia and caregivers is welcome. And you can just go to DementiaMap.com. If you'd like a tour for me, I would be more than glad uh, to set one up and tell you all about it. There are also paid plans as well if you'd like a little bit more exposure. So let's see who's in the waiting room. Well, welcome everyone. It's so exciting to see so many smiling faces for open mic. So what we do here is I'm just going to kind of pick and pull people in and we're going to get updates on what's going on with them, their lived experiences, work that they're doing, theories that they have, areas we need to improve on, um, wonderful resources, whatever. Um, everything is a go on open mic. The only thing I ask is that everyone be respectful of one another in terms of conversation there. So I'm going to go to Marilyn first because she is out and about in a, in a cafe and, and we don't know what her background is going to be next. So Marilyn, what's going on with you and Mods Awards? Well, Mods Awards is, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'd just like to commend you for the work you're doing for care partners. It's astonishing. Um, I open your feed every day and think, my goodness. So, um, so I'm the director of Mods Awards, and uh, it is our hope to develop resources that will enrich the lives of people who are living with dementia. But today, I wanted to comment on um, 
an interview you did a few days ago, um, whose name, of course, I can't remember or pronounce, but she was talking about you could choose to be a care partner or you could choose to whimper. And when I was beginning this journey with my mother, I was a whimper and I saw only the loss, not the person. I heard only the confusion, not the thought. And that all changed when my mother began to paint. And all of a sudden, we were sharing something that was joyous. And um, it completely changed my trajectory. I was suddenly able to see who was there. And that began nine years of our working together as care partners. And I finally understood what a care partner was as opposed to a caregiver. And it was it was the most rewarding thing I have ever done. So I just wanted to say to anyone out there who is a caregiver, who is starting this journey, who is perhaps uncertain that there is someone there, who is uncertain that they can do this, just hop on and enjoy the ride. Um, it is it is fun. It can be fun. It can be hard. And I was lucky because mom lived in a, a really good continuing care facility, which only a small percentage of the people in this country can afford. Um, and I will not be able to afford that. But it was it was astonishing how much fun we had together. And it 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 was for anyone who can spend the time with their loved one and to see who's there and to ask questions and to share their lives with them, by all means, do it. It's fabulous. Great advice. Do you want to give a plug for Mods Awards and your catalog that's out? Yes. Yeah, so Mods Awards is an annual program we um, we. Every year we give monetary awards for people who are doing wonderful things in the world of dementia to improve the lives of their care partners. And every year we actually print a um, handbook of innovations. Uh, and Lori LeBay, I'm pleased to say, is in that handbook. Um, and that it is available free on our website uh, at modsawards.org. And you can also uh, order one to be sent to you, um, a printed copy free. Um, and it is it and we're about to enter our fifth anniversary, which is pretty amazing. So I encourage everyone to look at Mods Awards. Hopefully you will find something that will make your and your loved one's life better. That's our goal. And maybe apply next year. And maybe and maybe apply next year. I hope you will. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Appreciate it. I'm going to go down to um, Craig. And Craig, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Craig Hankey. I'm from Wisconsin. I was diagnosed in 2014 with uh, Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's. And that has changed since then to now just... Um, Mild cognitive impairment with Lewy body traits. Uh, I'm not sure what that means, but that's what they tell me I have now. So, um, 64 years old, was diagnosed at I think 54, and at that at that time they 
did the usual spiel that they give everyone. They gave me eight years to live and said, get your affairs in order and gave you drugs and sent you on your way. So was there any particular topic that you wanted to talk about today, Craig? Um, just caregiving, basically. Um, my eyes were opened last week to what my wife goes through with me because my sister, who was my mother's main caregiver, uh, was on a three-week cruise. Um, so we were tasked with taking care of my mother. And she's starting, she's ninety, going to be 96. And she's just now starting with like Alzheimer's type symptoms. Um, but I witnessed things with her that I was getting frustrated with myself. Um, and the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking, boy, if this is what my wife is going through with me. Now I know why she's getting frustrated. Um, so it's, it's teaching me to try to be a little more patient with my wife because I get upset if she doesn't, if she gets upset. So it's a vicious circle, but it was kind of a, blessing in disguise witnessing my mom so I could again see what my wife goes through on a daily basis okay well that that is good insight um, because a lot of times we kind of get trapped in our own little world and in, in what we see and um, did you tell your wife about that uh, we talked a little bit about it uh, but then I got sick but some kind of a stomach bug so kind of keeping my distance from her so I don't want to get her sick before the holidays okay okay well sounds good well thanks for sharing that I, I think it's good to get different perspectives um Lorette I'm going to go to you next and hear what you are up to hi everyone hey Lori hey Marilyn and everyone else I've yet to meet um yeah I've been busy working on this series I have a series of books that were inspired by my mother-in-law that was living with Lewy body dementia, um, like Craig. And I was really just new to the process and didn't really know anything at that moment in time about dementia. And as Marilyn was saying, I started to, the big expression now is people are talking about looking for triggers, but looking for glimmers on the converse, which is glimmers of hope and glimmers of light and glimmers of retained ability. So that's where the series started. And I've um, been working on it since um, COVID, since uh, I think March of 2019. And now we're in, um, you know, getting into five years and I've got 40 books that are part of a digital library that is, I took it down because I was wanted to voice enable it. So people that really weren't gonna be focusing on the text so much could hear um, the narration and enjoy the art and the literature and inspire some of that, you know, working with art, crafting, um, working shoulder to shoulder with, with a loved one and enjoying, you know, again, those types of moments. So that's what I've been doing. I've been working on the series and getting everything voice enabled and um, making sure that it's all uh, very, very, the interface is very, very simple and that people that won't be an impediment and people can enjoy it together. So just grateful to be in this company and um, working to bring the arts and literature in adaptive formats to 
to people who love it and, and miss it. And that's just one of the things you're doing, because I read something you're doing stuff with kids, too. So why don't you share about your foundation and getting books into kids' hands? Well, actually, um, that is a man named Den Dennis Dolniak, and he's in Florida. Um, he has a nonprofit called Nana's Books. How we both have the same name for our um, LLCs, I didn't know that was a possibility. But that's a man named Dennis Dolniak. His wife was a children's librarian. And he has a nonprofit called Nana's Books. And um, I'm actually in the process of pursuing nonprofit status as well. However, the Nana's Books Foundation is, um, if anyone's interested, is um, when you Google Nana's Books or Nana's Books series, that will come up as well. And I encourage everybody to have a look because Dennis is putting books um, about, let's say, a parent or a grandparent or a neighbor who is, um, you know, experiencing Alzheimer's and related dementias to children. It's explaining, you know, all the different books that he's supplying to schools um, and libraries. Um, he's giving these children a better sense and their their schools and their families a better sense of what dementia is about and what it, what it looks like out in the community. Well, thank you for clarifying that because I thought that was you. So <laughs> um, Lori, I'm a dervish, but, but even I can't do that too. I mean, I, I've been busy, but I'm not, you know, that's not me. Well, and it is amazing the spans of your library and what you have created in such a short, short period of time. I mean, I, I highly recommend people go to, and why don't you say the, the URL just to make sure that I don't say it incorrectly. Sure. Um, so it it's nanasbookseries.com. Well, again, you're, you're doing great things. Do you know how many different books you have you. out there? right now? Uh, well, on Amazon, what I'm trying to do is um, I really, no, no matter what happens with the digital series and going into um, residential care and, you know, all the different, uh, you know, innovation uh, incubators and all of that, I never want it to be where a care partner just can't put their hands on a book. I always, I don't want to gatekeep. I want to make sure that, you know, if you're going to go see your mom and your, or your in the ER or you're in a restaurant or you just have access to these books. They're very gently priced. Um, they're in, you know, within reach of everyone. Um, so you can get them on Amazon, but you're also going to be able to get them um, through an app and, um, you know, through the website, you can log on and, and um, very simply, and, and they'll be at your fingertips. So they're all voice enabled. I've got lots for men. I've got six books for in Spanish um, just a real variety for people that have different interests. And, and yeah, so it, it's, it's a work in progress, Lori, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite beautiful and expansive from, um, you know, what I love is that they're big eight and a half by 11s with these beautiful, beautiful graphics, and then just a little bit of words. So if you turn the page, you're not going to get lost in a story. Everything is there. And you can use it in so many different ways where, if a person's still able to read, they can read it and follow it. Um, somebody can read it to them, or you can just reminisce about the picture and the story as well. And um, in intergenerational use, I, I just find them so user-friendly. And um, I, I'm just so thankful that you created them uh, because I think it was just a huge, big crack in our industry that was missing uh, to help people connect on a literary um, level. Um, so thank you. And, and for, um, I'm going to go ahead me. 
and go down to True and see, um, True, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know if there's anything specific that you wanted to cover? Full legal name, truthful, loving kindness, um, dementia symptoms since 1999 in February, Um, Louie symptoms, and I've got cerebrovascular disease, Um, and actually I kind of got it crazy, I I looked at the calendar and realized that Christmas is next weekend. Uh, At any rate, I wondered if we were still having dementia chats on Tuesday. And somehow I got it in my brain that we were doing dementia chats today since... Well, and that's easy enough to do. And for those of you that don't know, Dementia Chats, both True and Craig are part of, and Michael as well. Um, and that is where I facilitate a conversation with the True experts and those actually living with dementia. And they pick a topic, and we have really interesting conversations. We do that like on a monthly basis. Um, but yeah, I'm still planning on, on going ahead. If everyone else is, I was going to check in with the group and and see uh, what people wanted to do on that. So, um, oh, okay. but this one is just open mic true and people can bring up any topic. Um, sometimes you guys are hearing things through chats that, you know, are just hot topics that the rest of the world doesn't know about, or um, you've had a change in status with your symptoms or, you know, something with your doctor or family or um, all kinds of insights. So is there anything in particular you would like to, share with our audience here on Alzheimer's Speaks? Well, I, 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 I've been searching for better diagnosis for over 20 years, and I think I'm about giving up. My last neurologist kind of threw up his hands and said, you need another specialist, and I've already been to so many. And I just kind of think, okay, everybody recognizes it's not really mild cognitive impairment, but um, they they really can't find out what it is because I have such strong variability between my um, my. My strong abilities that are left in comparison to the strong disabilities that they, they just are left with. Don't know what's going on. We know it's not Alzheimer's because of my, what do you call it in my spine? where they pull out the juice oh spinal tap yeah but they don't really know what it is 
Yeah, it's I know for our dementia chats groups, it's been very frustrating every time somebody in the group gets re-diagnosed. <laughs> and it's like, what are they talking about? And everyone in the group who isn't a medical professional goes, this is not mild cognitive impairment. And, you know, and they'll, they flip and they flop you like you're a, a dang pancake, you know, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And we need, we need them to be better educated and, um, and to also let families know that sometimes people have multiple diagnoses too. You know, when my mom passed, um, she had her brain autopsy, or I should say we had her brain autopsy at that time. And, um, you know, she had... <laughs> She had Alzheimer's, Lewy body, and Parkinson's is what it showed. We were never, never were Lewy body and Parkinson's ever mentioned to us at all. So I don't know if that's something that you're considering doing for yourself, but you would probably be a very interesting candidate for the scientists and researchers. I looked at it and it's pretty darn expensive. I don't think it's really an option for me, but... The specialist is way downtown. It's going to be way complicated trying to get to it. And it, it's just another one way downtown, you know, because mm-hmm. it, any of them are four hours from us and both ways, you know, so it's an eight hour, eight hours of travel for every appointment. And, um, and so I'm, I'm really seriously considering just saying, I don't care what the diagnosis is. Okay. My husband is not for that option, but he's also not for driving in San Francisco. So, Well, it's really sad that there aren't funds for this, you know, um, if they really want to get to the bottom of what the disease is about, that they're not funding these autopsies. Uh, because a lot of families can't afford them, and it, it is expensive. Uh, and that that was something that kind of shocked me. I know when we did it as a family as well, I was like, "What?" Um, but we, but I'm still glad we did it. Uh, but um, yeah, very very frustrating. So I, I appreciate you mentioning that and and understand you know where where your husband's coming from and you as well on that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm going to go up to um, Deb. And Deb, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. I am both a care partner to my husband who has behavioral variant frontotemporal dimension, BVFTD. And I am also, uh, I work with an agency, Aging and Disability Resource Center in Alaska, and we're a hub of resources. If we don't have the answer, we find the answer and connect people to those resources available in the outlying areas. Um, Along with that, because of my interest in the dementias, I am a PAC, Tipa Snow, Positive Approach to Care, uh, Independent Consultant as well so i just had i did i came on only because you asked me to this morning not because i had any particular intent of what to say but i as we started i thought of the three things and the uh, major steps for me from the very beginning when i realized and 
that he had FTD because of my own personal research. Um, and then, you know, you tell the neurologist and the psychologist that that's what you really think it is. And they say, well, we have to do our assessments first. <laughs> and so they did agree with me. But um, it, as it's gone on, there seems to be maybe a mix. But I have chosen not to continue just constantly putting my husband through the assessments, etc., because he didn't handle that well. The first time they had stopped the assessment because he became so agitated. And he, in fact, he was traumatized because his he's of European background, uh, Portugal, and um, he has olive skin and brown eyes. Well, when he came out of the assessment, he was fair complected and blue eyes. And I understand that is a an effect when you go through um, something very traumatic. And so it wasn't wasn't a horrible experience, but it was an, a necessary one, and we got through it. But acceptance. Some people don't like that, that you accept this is what you have. But for me, it was the first step to um, get my footing on this journey that is very zigzag and upside down. And we know it, for it changes from minute to minute sometimes. Every day is different. But um, I accepted the that this is what we're facing and this is what we're going to do. And with that, I think it lowered their cortisol level that I was able to think clearly in order to move forward instead of fighting it. The other thing is the ambiguous and preparatory loss that we all experience. You're living with somebody who's not with you, but yet they're with you. They're, they're a living being. They're an alive organism. But the personality changes and you go from having a husband and a friend to just having a man living in your home that you dearly love. So I, the ambiguous loss can be uh, a very real thing, and it, I don't minimize it at all, but I found I cannot live there. Again, um, the the phrase that I tell people when they ask the almost impossible question is, how are you? <laughs> it's very hard to answer, how's Jim, how's your husband, you know, it's because there's no straight arrow with this. And um the thought came to me one day, this is my response, and I feel that it encompasses the whole picture, and that is I'm grieving, I'm sad. Uh, I could use a month's rent, um, not rent, but <laughs> maybe so, a month's um, respite, but uh, altogether I am blessed, and I'm blessed because I'm able, and this is the third thing that I made my um, purpose of living this journey with him is to make sure he knows he's cared for and that he is loved. They don't always recognize that, but deep down they seem to know it. And sometimes you get those fleeting precious moments <clears throat> that the reality surfaces but it's gone just as quickly as it comes and you want to grab it and just hold on to it. And, uh, but to help him 
as much as possible to have pleasant days. And for the most part, I'd have to say our life is pleasant. Like, um, I forget her name, who spoke first. Um, If in loving, you're not seeking a reward. And that's one of the things I've learned the most through my walk with this is that I love because I love him. I'm not looking for reward because if I look for reward, then I get so tangled up that it affects him. And I want him to be as as much peace as possible, but he's living with something he can't run from. And sometimes I get the sense that he would like to run from it. And I think the way he does that is by sleeping. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much sundowning. It's like a, an escape, I think. And so anyway, that encapsulizes my life <laughs> in Alaska. <laughs> and so well, I'm doing well. I appreciate you sharing those insights. I think they're really helpful. Craig? I really appreciate what Deborah was saying there. Um I don't remember saying this, but last week, this past weekend when I had this flu stuff and I had a very high fever, um, evidently I told my wife something on the order um, that I wanted her to leave me. Yeah. So at first I said, I understand it's till death to you part, sickness and health and all that, that I promised when we were married, but I, I said, I want you to leave me because I don't want you to have to put up with all of this and have to pardon opposite and gross, but I said, I don't want you to have to be wiping my butt. Yeah. Um, I don't remember saying it. Um, I believe her that I said it, but um, the way it came out, it was very hurtful to her. Um she brought it up uh, Sunday morning that I had said that um, where it came from, whether it was something deep inside the brain that worked or it was like the fever or what, but um, it, it kind of made me wonder if there's other things that I'm saying that I don't remember saying that are hurtful as well. So it was, uh, again, eye-opening, but kind of scary at the same time. Craig, if I could comment to that, Laurie, is that okay? Sure. If my husband said that to me, and he has said some pretty hurtful things, and I know from listening to Greg O'Brien, I don't know if many of you are familiar with him, uh, a lovely gentleman experiencing Alzheimer's, he recognizes when he blurts things out, you said you forgot, but his heart breaks at the same time because he doesn't want to act like that. And so um, if Jim were to say something like that, and he said things that aren't like that, but if he did say that, what that would say to me is his heart is breaking and he doesn't want me to have to experience the pain of what he's going through because he knows what it inflicts on me. And I'd say being a care partner to a loved one is a life of forgiving. And sometimes 
the feeling might not be there to forgive. I'd like to slap him sometimes, <laughs> but I can't do that because, and we all know why I don't have to explain that, but I choose to forgive and recognize what it is. Sometimes I just say, well, okay. then I'll walk away. Not sarcastically, but I recognize what I'm dealing with and I know what he knows, but he doesn't talk about it. I'd say that's probably one of the hardest things is having a husband who has FTD and he will not discuss it with me. And so I'm so thankful that I know what I know because of what I do. It helps me to relax. So Greg, I wouldn't fret yourself over that. I can understand why you may, but she's still with you. And that should say to you, I love you. Yes, it was hurtful, but I forgive you. And, um, I think that for my husband, it brings him comfort knowing that my vows were my vows. I'm not doing it because that's just the structure that that's what we do. I deeply love this man. And as life has gone on, you find out how more deeply you can love and it passes understanding for me sometimes. I hope that helps. I don't know. Craig? Yeah, that helps a lot. Um, Chu knows me. Uh, Lori knows me quite well. and Michael, a little bit. Um, I know you all from watching her recordings. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what, yeah. what bothers me the most is that I'm a, I'm a pretty caring, compassionate yeah. uh, guy. I'm a, I'm a church elder, Stephen minister in my church. Um, so they, they they say with some of these, especially frontal temporal dementia, I guess you, you lose your filters. Yeah. You just blurt stuff out. So I'm, I'm hoping that's not what's happening here. But um, I w when she told me what I said, I, w I was literally shocked that that came out of my mouth. It was like, whoa. But yeah, thank you for your words. It did. It, it helped it make a lot of sense. More sense. Good. And I and I have to agree with Deb. I think um, you know, what I learned and I, I lived with my mom who had dementia um for 30 years was that level of unconditional love that you don't even know exists. I mean, you you right. hit one level and then there's another level yeah. and there's another level. It's kind of amazing. Um Stan, you had your hand raised. Oh, yes. Uh, I wanted to uh, appreciate the the poignant description that Deborah gave of her life as a care partner, caregiver. Um, it was really touching. And um, the magnitude of your of your task, I was all I didn't want to say bird but, uh, of, of what you're going through is uh, a glimpse of that is from you. I really appreciate the way you described it. And then I caught a little bit of TV this morning where Sandra Day O'Connor was being honored. And as people probably know, there's a few facts, three of them. One is that as she's a good example, unfortunately, of how uh, Alzheimer's is a family or dementia is a family disease and it affects 
the well people in the family, and that it could affect your career in 2005. She resigned from the Supreme Court to take care of her husband. Before that, I think, or maybe her, she had to forgive her husband for taking up with another woman at the memory unit. That's number two. And number three is that she herself died of Alzheimer's and complications from it. So, wow. What, what, um, I mean, she was the most powerful political, influential person in our country. Uh, excuse me. I say person because I'm just so equal, you know, for women and men. <laughs> I said, but I meant woman, you know, I don't usually say that. Um, and uh, now we have to, you know, those are three high points. Um, so I just wanted to reflect that and to on the on the heels of what you said so poignantly, Deborah. Thank you. True, did you have a comment that you wanted to make? Not that I remember. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump up to um see Tracy. Um well since uh I got invited this morning, I didn't really have anything prepared, so I just want to introduce myself. Um I am a four-time caregiver for family members. I did my mom and dad and my uncle and my aunt. Everybody had different types of dementia. And so I, uh, and my father lived with me for a number of years, and as Lori knows. And, and so when I was going through my journey, he asked me, uh, well, he got caught up in the system, unfortunately, and it took us several months to get him released to our care. And so after that experience, he asked me, uh, uh, what does it take to be treated like a human being? And from that point on, I made it my mission to find out what that takes. And with his permission, I wrote a book and to give people literally a toolbox so they could just, you know, run their fingers down the table of contents, find the challenge of the day, turn to that page and read whatever it is that they need to do. And I have gotten some really amazing feedback from people that I did not expect, uh, particularly I did not expect to hear back from people who are actually actively going through dementia themselves. I only expected to hear from caregivers. And I cannot tell you how powerful that is to me to hear all of you talking about your dementias today and, and know how these things affect you and how you feel about them. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly powerful gift that you have given. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and Tracy's book is amazing. It is I can I can go into details, but it's oversized. It's easy to to read. It's easy to find what you want, um, and she covers so many different things. And she really helps you figure out even how to stage your home to care better uh, in it. So it, it isn't it isn't just symptoms, but I mean there there are real things that can make big differences um, that she touches on. And um, she's just a wonderful, wonderful gal. And she has her own podcast as well. So go ahead and give a plug for that as well as your book and how they can get that, Tracy. Oh, okay. So this morning I had a woman named uh, Beth Marie Fahey as my guest. She uh, cared for her mother for a number of years. And so we had a discussion this morning on just what it took to be a caregiver and then how to get your life back afterwards because uh, there's one of two ways you can go. You could like 
climb into a hole afterwards or you can actually just go way overboard and just do too many things because you've been denied so much for so long and then get into trouble that way too. So the the podcast is called, uh, like my book, The Dementia Home Care Show. It's on USA Global TV and radio. You can find it on YouTube. Um, and it's uh, I have my playlist on there so you'll be able to find it if you, or if you just Google Tracy Cram Perkins, uh, which I go this way, uh, like, I don't know which I'm pointing, but anyway, where the book is behind me. <laughs> And yeah, so it's, and then as, as Laura's mentioning, um, the book goes from diagnosis to beyond death. It covers emergency situations, uh, knowing when to put, uh, so if somebody has passed, you can put credit watch reports on so your loved ones so that nobody steals their identity. Uh, only because I had a family member who had their identity stolen did I uh, realize that this was a problem. Um, and so it, there's, there's a lot of different things, and there's over 130 different resources, and on my website, which is also my name, I have a resource page that gives you all of those plus the updates. It also includes Lori's dementia map um, and her Alzheimer's Speaks. And, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things in there from adaptive clothing down to uh, where to find government resources, how to find lost monies that are stuck in the government. I mean, it's just uh, there, it, anything you could have thought of that you, that you wouldn't have thought of that you might need to know, I tried to throw in there. Wonderful. Thank you, Tracy. Um, Michael, I'm going to go to you. You emailed me this morning. Um, and why don't you give me an update? But uh, actually, before we go there, I do want to know, you had mentioned with the autopsies, NIH might have um, some resources. And Lorette had mentioned the Boston University Brain Bank might have some options as well um, for doing uh, brain autopsies that possibly might at cost or might be cheaper. I know the one here in Minnesota, they just closed down, which just broke my heart with that. And I kind of wonder like, well, where does all that information go? Are they passing it on? You know, how connected is everybody um, is another concern too with all of that. So Michael, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, yes, truth uh, at, NIH, they are actually looking for people to give their brains for biopsies after death, and it's no cost to you. They will take your brain uh, if you sign the paperwork, and they'll take care of the transport and everything and get the remains back and all. Uh, so I, I think it's a good method for people such as us to allow the sciences to try to understand what's going on and to help them improve uh, to better understand things. And it sounds like in your particular case, it would be really beneficial. It would help them a lot. Could you send me a, a link for how to go about it? I'll, I'll try to research it. Uh, there's actually a brain bank. It's at NIH, but I'll, I'll try to dig it out and I'll get it to you within the next couple of days. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Sure. But anyway, yeah, like I said, uh, you know, Lori said, you know, I sent her an email and uh, the email was for a survey that they were looking for some people in Australia. Uh, I won't get into what the survey was about because I'd like to bring my good friend, Dr. Stanley Turman, uh, involved into this picture. But a little bit about me. I'm a person who's living with dementia. Uh, I've 
been diagnosed since 2008, and I've become an international dementia advocate and connector who's been trying to bring change and awareness and influence all kind of uh, changes, uh, not only here in the U.S., but around the world to make things better for those with dementia. Uh, along my journey, I had the luxury to meet Dr. Stanley Terman, uh, probably somewhere around uh, 10, 11 years ago at a National Alzheimer's Project Act meeting. And at that time, we were talking about, I guess, something that a lot of us don't like to talk about uh, in bioethics in reference to one wishing to take their lives. Uh, but I think it's something that's very important uh, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you talk about this, that that's what you want to do. But I think you want to have at least the idea that if you wanted to go down that path, you have that flexibility. Uh, this is not for everybody. It's for a small few. But I think at the same time, it's something that should be talked about. And I've been working at this for 10 years maybe longer with uh, the help of Dr. Stan and many others trying to bring this to the forefront, but haven't been that successful. So I'll, I'll let Dr. Stan speak about this and then I'll go back to, to this survey that I, I was contacted about. Well, I also wanna introduce you all to QBlocks, which is an e-commerce agency for B Corps, which are companies that are verified by B Lab to meet high standards of social and environmental performance. They have been absolutely excellent to deal with. Their transparency and accountability is absolutely exceptional. And they are they like to work with sustainable and planet-friendly and purpose-driven brands. And I was just thrilled that, uh, that they worked with me here at Alzheimer Speaks. They have been in business for 18 years and they serve the globe. They have a team of about 45 people that specialize in things like Shopify, WordPress, Magento, PHP, and they offer specialized e-commerce and, and digital marketing services, including SEO and paid search conversion optimization, uh, analytics, email marketing, and consulting. I can't say enough good things about this company. I've had a lot of bad experiences. I don't know about you with tech companies, but they have been, like I said, absolutely amazing to deal with. They have made a very complicated process very easy. And their staff is so kind, so polite, so respectful to work with. And you know, when I am frustrated and ready to pull my hair out, they just smile and tell me everything's going to be okay. And they, they really are just on top of the communication, which alleviates so much stress as an owner when you're dealing with tech issues. And you can get a 10% discount working with QBlock services. Um, their hourly rates are really reasonable, only $40 to $55 an hour. You can visit them at QBlocks at C-U-E-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com, or you can email them at letstalk at QBlocks dot com. For that 10% discount, 
just put Lori, L-O-R-I, in the inquiry form. And again, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I surely haven't been. I, I can't rave enough about this company. And that's kind of rare these days. So check them out. Well, thank you, Michael, for inviting me. Uh, and Lori as well. Good to be here. Um, I started a nonprofit organization called Caring Advocates in uh, 2000. And uh, by the time 2005 came and Terry Schiavo was in the news, I knew that my mission was to try to create a living will and other associated documents that would allow people who have dementia to die in a peaceful and timely way, and which is a huge challenge for a number of reasons. And so I've been working on it for just about two decades. Um, Michael and I actually met in 2012, and I was in the home of Ladislav Volosir, who's at the time I was his uh, house guest and collaborator. And uh, subsequently, uh, I may have stimulated it, I, uh, he published a paper on a focus group of what I then invented or innovated, which was called natural dying. Now, you have the right to refuse an invasion of your bodily integrity with food and fluid that someone else puts in with their hands, assisted feeding, assisted hydrating. You have a right to refuse that in advance, just like any other medical intervention. And his focus groups in the area of South Florida uh, asked people, what do you think of this? Would you want that for yourself? And uh, that was published. Um, and I kept my distance because, you know, it, it was very good that it was done, you know, completely separate. Uh, recently, I submitted a paper to a prominent journal. And one of the reviewers said, uh, yeah, that's OK. I call it natural dying. But what are you going to do? If the person is suffering, the person has very, very difficult to manage behaviors and so forth, and they can still eat and drink independently. And that led me to create a new term called the dementia gap. The dementia gap is the time between when you still have capacity to voluntarily stop eating and drinking, and if you have capacity, it's premature and you still could enjoy life more. So that's when the beginning of the dementia gap and the end of the dementia gap is when you finally lose the ability to eat and drink yourself and you become dependent upon someone else's assistance, hand feeding. What do you do in that dementia gap? And I found a way of, uh, I have a way. It took me, uh, well, there was a patient who was in this situation. I had done her advanced care planning, worked with her five years ago. When I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that this challenge was there. And she was a very interesting patient. And she stimulated me to, to find a way and I helped her in that way. And I had some moral kind of 
rumination subsequently. Did I do the right thing? Was it was it was it correct ethically? Clinically, it seemed to be, but morally and ethically, I wasn't so sure. And I went into the literature and I found a huge amount of controversy. And I finally figured out that there was a way of justifying what I did that was actually satisfying to me and to others, maybe. And I would love, Lori, if maybe we can do a focus group sometime on this. Let me show you. Can I share my screen? Or sure. I think I just have to add that on. There you should be able to now. Okay. So... And I don't know if I have time to read all this, but suppose you are, let, let me do that. Suppose you're in the advanced stage of dementia and you're experiencing exceedingly severe suffering and that can be caused by observable and non-observable sources. For most people, consciousness has paramount importance, nothing more important. It allows you to express what makes you unique as a human being, which includes your ability to interact with other human beings, Expressing yourself, expressing your love, reducing other people's suffering. Use your imagination and reasoning to express your opinions, humor, aesthetic appreciation of all the arts and everything else, music and so forth. And to use your freedom to be spiritual and to act in ways that are ethical and moral at best. But the terminal illness advanced dementia has vastly diminished in many cases, eventually, in the advanced stage, completely destroyed your functioning consciousness. And worse, your consciousness has been replaced by the experience of various types of exceedingly severe suffering. And again, some of this is not observable. And I have examples if you want. So I want you to answer the following question. The premise is that your process of dying can occur in two ways, and you must choose one. Answering this question, this is like a one-question survey. Answering this question is mandatory for you to continue living since there are no other legal, peaceful choices and all less sedating types of treatment for your extreme suffering have been tried but failed. Choice number A. I want to be consciously aware as I die even though I have exceedingly severe suffering, so while I will continue living without any treatment or intervention or until something happens. And the most common ways people die, of course, is cardiovascular and infections in advanced dementia. Or B, I do not want to be consciously aware of my exceedingly severe suffering as I die, so I will consent to receive high enough doses of medications that put me into a very deep sleep, which I have coined the new term moderate anesthesia, even though I will likely not wake up before I die. So, uh, I wonder if I can stop sharing the screen and go around the room and uh, Tracy, is it for you A or B? Let's say, since we don't, yeah, everyone's on mute. Say, A, raise your hand if it's A. Do you want to continue living and not have uh, sedation? Okay. All right. Michael, do you want to continue living or do you want to uh, have sedation? 
I would want to have sedation. You want sedation? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Barbara, can you raise your hand if you want, um, or, or just take yourself off mute? What would you like? Sedation or uh, continue living? With uh, sedation. sedation. Sedation, yes. Deborah, what would you like? Probably A. A, continue mm -hmm. living? Okay, mm -hmm. even though they are, you're have extreme suffering. Okay, yeah. Laurette, Laurette, what would you want? Um, this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> I mean, definitely more toward B, but I, I think I, I think I may want to, um, you know, consciously uh, decide to check out even before that point. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Right. If if uh, I don't if, know how you would do that, but. Uh, okay, and Craig, what would you want? Definitely, definitely B. But I do have a comment. Well, please you wrote. What is your comment, Craig? Um, I had a question because I not only receive communion at church, but I also give communion as an elder. And I asked my minister one time. I said, "What happens?" when and if I get to the stage where I don't know what communion is, what it means, um, is that a sin or should I be doing it? And his comment was, I think God knows what's going on. I think he would be forgiving and allow you to continue to take communion even if you don't know what it is or what it means. I like that comment, and I agree with it, and uh, there's a wisdom in the Catholic Church that I, uh, many wisdoms, um, and it may also be the case uh, in the, uh, that um, God would also approve of or forgive or whatever, condone the process of sedation so that you're not aware of exceedingly severe suffering. In any event, Laurie, you can see that there's a difference of opinion. And maybe someday we can uh, uh, focus on this particular um, subject and flush it out with the people's... Uh, I mean, most of the people, it wasn't like a slam dunk. But for Michael, it was. But, but for most people, I don't know, sort of, yeah. And, and that's really, so we should learn more about this. And I, um, so perhaps you put this on the future agenda. I, I wanted to just say that caring advocates helps two kinds of people. They help people who have um, their full capacity uh, to create a living will, uh, to sign a pulse form, which is the consent for doctor's orders, and, and all that. that that's a, a capacitated individual doing advanced care planning. I call it strategic advanced care planning. That's, that's its name, on, and it's on my website, caringadvocates.org. The other program is called Now Care Planning, and that is, applies to people who have reached the advanced stage of dementia, 
without a living will or without an adequate living will and all the strategies that are needed that I've been developing for the last two decades to make it work. And, um, and I've written, and I published a paper in 2022 where I took the new crop of a dozen dementia specific living wills and I put them through kind of a, a, a the lens of 24 different flaws and every single one of them was flawed leading to either premature or prolonged dying. And this was published in a prominent journal called uh, journal uh, Biomed Central Biomedical Ethics, one of the top journals in, in, in ethics. So living wills generally don't work. And in, in, even if you have a living will that does work, and my, my way cards, I think, work, you still need extra strategies added to it to make it work for sure. So um, that's why the strategies come in. Anyway, I um, so there's now care planning is for the people who don't have such a living will. And what we generally do is this. We take we form what's called a patient decision committee. We find those people who are available who are very concerned with, very knowledgeable about the person with dementia so that they know what that person's treatment preferences would be. They know that person's life values, long-term life values. And then they use, they substitute their working brain for that person. And they say, okay, Sally is in this particular situation, condition, Knowing Sally as I do, what would Sally decide for Sally if she could? Or if we asked her 10 years ago, if you're in this condition 10 years from now, what would you want? That's called substituted judgment. And if there is a consensus of substituted judgment, then we can proceed because it's legal to uh, appoint the proxy agent to uh direct the care with instructions on behalf of the patient. But this is an elaboration. It's not one person making one decision. It's maybe five people making 50 decisions. So you have 250 decisions. You say how many of them line up with enough agreement that you can really grab a hold of this and say this works. So that's now care planning. How many people need now care planning in the United States? Two million. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 hi everyone this is meredith from the senior fitness with meredith podcast where i discuss all things for seniors from fitness your health and wellness journeys how to be all over strong and beyond i also have my mini podcast called motivation with meredith it's a great quick motivational pick-me-up for your days 
Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform. Interesting. I um, I find this a really interesting topic. You know, we, we did a special on this, which, which was a two-hour special years back. And I remember at the very end, everyone said, okay, well, Lori, what would you do? Kind of the, with your, your one question, two responses, what's it going to be? And one I, one I want to say is nobody wants to make a, um, a split decision like we were called to do today. I mean, that was an example for sure. Um, and, and it's interesting to hear the answers. But my answer I found was interesting because I didn't really know what was going to roll out of my mouth. And, and my answer was, I'm a girl that likes my choices. And so I definitely like option B. And standing here today, that's what I think that I would choose is to be able to have that option. But living through, you know, my mom's dementia of 30 years, I also can honestly say I wouldn't have wanted to give up one second of it. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today without that journey with her. And I wouldn't have learned the different levels of unconditional love without that journey. I mean, there were so many things, so many blessings that I got through that journey. And I know not everybody does. I was a lucky one um, that was able to see those things. And so it's really hard because I think if I take that choice, am I taking away from my daughter, maybe what she would perceive as blessings. And not that you see those on a day-to-day basis all the time when you're, when you're in the midst of caring. Um, but it, it, it's just, it, it's a very interesting discussion. I also uh, loved when you pointed out 2 million. I think there's probably a lot more than 2 million out there that need to make this decision and I believe it's compassionate choices also, and you're probably very familiar with them, uh, Stan, that, that has what I found one of, um, one of the best, and I haven't looked at yours, so I can't, I can't compare, um, but they, they give some really good um, questions to ask where you can change levels and you can change mixtures with different symptoms in terms of what you want when instead of so often it's black or white, black or white, black or white. And this disease, I mean, it flips, it flops, it turns, it, it, it's, you know, zigs and it zags all over the place in terms of what it looks like, what it feels like to people. And I think that those conversations have to be had. And I, and I think we need people like you bringing this up because um, you don't want to just fall into this. You know, you want to be able to have some thought about all of this and how does this affect not only the person diagnosed, but their loved ones as well. And are you going to have that team that really knows what you want? Because I've, I've witnessed, and I'm sure others have, where people have been the decision makers who do what they want to do, not necessarily what the person wants done or what they've even expressed. And so, I mean, and that's why we've had some court issues out there as well with all of this. So it's a huge topic. And I would, um, I would love to do one more thoroughly on this where maybe we do a two hour special and and talk about this. And, um, and if anyone here wants to be part of that, just, you know, let me know. Um, 
What I'm going to do is uh, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up. I'm going to ask everyone. I, well, actually, I didn't get to ask Barbara if you have anything else that you want to say, because I know you were pulled in through Michael and Stan uh, for this conversation and you got to vote, but I want to give <laughs> you more voice than that before I wrap up. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I am brand new really to this topic. I've um been working with Stan just a short time doing some administrative work and um, don't have a lot of experience uh, in my family history at all with dementia. And um, so it is quite an interesting eye-opening subject. And I do have a couple of people around me that I wonder about their condition and people that I love that, you know, that I would... Um, at least be involved to some degree in knowing if not involved directly in their, in their care. Um, so um, I'm, I'm just uh, open to learning and um, really uh, had some eye opening insight offered by all of you today. And I appreciate being included and being here. So thank you. Well, thanks for, for being part. And I, you know, we're talking about dementia, but, you know, this is a topic that affects a lot of different chronic illnesses mm-hmm. or just tragedies that, that you know, happen instantly. And right. it's something that we don't feel comfortable talking about. You know, it's it's up there with taxes and death and divorce and mm-hmm. all, of, all of those types of things. So I look forward to pulling this show together. I will, in the show notes, add in the for different links and things as well. Thank you. This has just been, a, I think, a, a wonderful open mic. We've covered a lot of different things today. And, um, you know, that's the reason I do these. I'd like to do these almost on a monthly basis. I've been doing them more on a, on a quarterly basis. But I, that may change for 2024. I'm still in the in the planning stages, trying to figure out how I'm going to do everything I do right now and, and add a little bit more. <laughs> top of that so um thank you everyone anybody have any last minute comments that they'd like to add well i I guess i just want to go back to how this whole thing started i received an email that came from some people in australia who was looking to have a survey completed with the meaning of voluntary assistant dying And they were looking for people from Australia to give feedback. I actually responded to them, and I told them I was in the U.S., and we we really need to talk about this. Lori's going to put the link in there uh, for anybody out of Australia to be able to reply to this uh, and uh, do their survey. I think it's extremely important that people with dementia start talking about this. In fact, not only people with dementia, people who don't also have dementia. You know, Dr. Stan might have mentioned 2 million. He's wrong. Everybody must have one of these because you never know when you're in an accident and God forbid you end up getting dementia. And if you don't have something in writing, you're screwed. So you have to treat this as far as I'm concerned, just like any other type of will. Because the one big problem you have 
if you don't have your wishes written, nobody's going to know what you expect. And it, it was unfair to put anybody on the spot today and to make them try to think this out. It took me years to think this out. So I don't want anybody to think that this is something you make a decision quickly. There's a lot of knowledge one must learn before you make the decision. And this is not for everybody. But if you want an option, it should be an option. And I think it's a lot harder than what we think we can get because the laws aren't all there to protect us to do that. And we need to talk, be talking about that too. While Dr. Stan makes it seem very easy, it all depends what circumstances you're in, whether this can be applied or not applied. Okay, if you're in a home not- or somewhere, if you're in a home or somewhere, you may not be able to have that luxury. So it's extremely important that we all start having dialogue about this, whether we agree on the topic or don't agree on the topic. That's it. It's not easy. I didn't mean to, uh, and um, it's complicated, and it takes hours to do a really diligent, deliberative, uh, advanced directive that will work. Uh, not just a couple of checks here and there, and you sign your name. And uh, I'm aware of the compassion and choices uh, option. Uh, it, it's it has its benefits. It, ha- it also has its. Uh, its problems. I critiqued it in my uh, 2022 article, and they took some of my suggestions, I believe. Um, what I meant by 2 million were people who already have advanced dementia and who don't want to continue living in extremes or severe suffering. But every you are right. Everyone needs a living will for not only dementia, but you're in an accident uh, like uh, uh, Nancy Cruzan, classically, and you have the vegetative state, uh, or you have a stroke, or you have end-stage liver or kidney disease in your body. There are other reasons why you need this and uh, kind of a living well. That is, I agree, for everyone, not just for the two million. The two million are a special category who are generally neglected and the question that you really need to ask is what would they want? You might feel so enriched by learning how to forgive, by learning how to be a good caregiver or care partner. And it's such a meaningful enrichment and expansion and a growth experience of your life wonderful for you now put that aside what would the patient want okay that patient-centered ethic is really where the moral and ethical decision should be made go ahead craig um, the reason I was pretty emphatic uh, about option B was because I watched my dad suffer and linger with that dementia, but, um, cancer for about eight months 
um, there was no quality of life. Um, he wouldn't have wanted it. Um, he had a DNR order, um, but still lingered. I don't know why I did it, but I, ha I have it. I had a DNR order for myself, but when they changed it from Louis body to just MCI, I took away that order, so it's no longer in action or active or whatever you want to call it. But it's your choice, still your choice, right? So I, I may go back and change that after because I, I watched I watched several people die, and I watched. I was I'm a retired prison guard, and I had vigils where we sat in on inmates that were passing, and so so I witnessed quite a few people passing and. Um, just watching what I saw, I think option B is to me is the only option, but that's just my opinion. Right. Well, again, I want to thank everyone for participating today. I really appreciate your, your time and your thoughts and your insights. And I can't wait to carry on this conversation and have the next um, open mic as well. And for those of you listening, please like, click, and share. It's not because I like the numbers. It's because I think other people that you know need this information. And they need to they need to hear the conversations that are happening. And sometimes we don't even know who those people are in our own sphere because they're not comfortable letting us in on what they're dealing with at this you know, moment in their life. And so the more we can, we can get this just to be a comfortable conversation that people can reach out and grab. Um, I, I think the easier it's going to be on everyone in the future. So again, thanks so much. Um, feel free to check out alzheimerspeaks.com for all of our free resources. And of course, Dementia Map, our global resource uh, directory as well. Bye now and everyone have a wonderful holiday season. Talk soon. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.